Welcome to the Live Love Ministries podcast, a place where we share thoughts, insights, and experiences from the mission field. I'm Eric. I'm Brittany. And I'm Julia. And we're the Live Love Ministries team. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Live Love Ministries podcast. We pray that it has been an encouragement to you. We pray that you have enjoyed listening to the content as much as we have enjoyed sharing it with you. Today we are bringing you a special two-part episode that is discussing and dealing with something that is very important to us uh, as a family, Brittany and I's family, uh, that is very important to the life of our ministry and our entire ministry team, and that we pray is an important part of your life as well. And if it isn't, we pray that after listening it will become an important part of your life. Like I said, it's a special two-part episode, both about 45 minutes long. And so uh, the content was so good that we didn't want to lose any of it. Uh, the conversation is so important that we didn't want to cut any of it off. Instead of trying to condense it into one episode, we just made it into a two-parter. And so this is going to be part one of the story of refugees. Um, we have a conversation with two of our daughters, Victoria and Shakina about what it means to be a refugee, what refugee life is like, and eventually we get around to talking about what should the church's response be to the refugee crisis. And so in episode one, you're going to hear stories from the refugee camp. Some of those are a little bit difficult to listen to. We kept them pretty well G-rated, but we talk about some of the difficulties of life from a refugee camp, what a refugee camp is, some of the difficulties that people have there. We also discuss what led to the refugee crisis. We talk about uh, a civil war in Congo and some things that led to the refugee crisis for many Congolese refugees. And uh, and so that's kind of the first episode, just what led to the refugee crisis, what it's like living in a refugee camp, what it's like for the people who are still there, what kind of hope do they have as they live their life inside the refugee camp. After they fled, after they have fled their own country, and so that'll be episode one, and then episode two will kind of transition into uh, new life, like after refugees resettle into the country that they land in, uh, what is their new life like? What are some difficulties that they face? And ultimately, the podcast, the second podcast episode, will finish with what is the church's response, or what should the church's response be? to the refugee crisis and how do we best as Christians minister and serve refugees in our local communities. And we even hit on uh, the Great Commission and how refugees are coming to our uh, country and it allows us better to fulfill the Great Commission that God has given us. So we hope that you enjoy listening in. We hope that it is encouragement to you. We hope that it is challenging challenging to you and we hope that it's new information for you and if it is new information we hope that it changes you as you listen if it's old information and you are already involved in refugees we pray that it just as encourages you to continue moving forward in your fight for those who are struggling uh, in your fight to share jesus with those um, who have no home and are maybe on the fringes of society And so having said that, um, I don't want to take too much time before we get into the episode, but I do want to give a disclaimer. Uh, We do share some things, again, like I said, that uh, maybe you might not want necessarily a small child to hear, but they're not too bad. Um, I mean, it's not like we go into graphic detail, but we do mention a couple of things that if a child heard, they might ask about them. And so you might want to listen to that part yourself first. Um, And that's just in the beginning when we begin to talk about the camp. After that point, we don't mention anything else that's too difficult. Also, we recorded this episode 
um, during the middle of the day um, when all of our kids were at home and uh, it was a little bit wild and we are sitting around an uncontrolled environment. We had to uh, have a little bit different equipment and a little bit different setup in order to get this podcast episode. And so if the sound quality isn't quite as good or you hear kids laughing or door slamming in the background, um, just forgive us for that. Um, but we wanted to share this amazing content with you. Hope that you love it. Hope that it blesses you. Hope that it encourages you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Live Love Ministries podcast. We are joined today with two guests that we'll introduce in just a little bit. Um, Eric is here with me. Julia is not here today. But um, today we're going to be talking about a new topic that we haven't addressed yet. And so far we've been talking about most of the work that we do on the reservations. And today we're going to talk about some of the other things that we do um, specifically in the city of Phoenix and even talk about some different countries. So Eric, you want to talk to everyone about just this new topic that we're introducing today? Sure, sure. Welcome back. It is good to, to have everybody. We hope you're enjoying the podcast every week. Um, it's given us an opportunity to share some of our heart for ministry, our heart for people, and our heart for what we do. And so we hope it's encouraging to you and your church, whatever context you serve in. But as Brittany said, today we're going to talk about something a little bit different. Uh, it isn't native work. We, uh, if you are new to us or our ministry, we also spend uh, a portion of our time working with uh, refugees. Refugees who have been resettled primarily in the Phoenix area, uh, but Phoenix and Tucson both uh, resettle refugees. And we're going to talk about what that looks like, what that means, why that's important to us and why that should be important to all of us, the church, uh, as followers of Jesus, why uh, the refugee crisis in the world should be important to us. And so um, I want to introduce our guests. Um, our guests aren't really guests to us. They're part of our family. Um, a long time ago when our family started to grow um, through different ways, we tried to explain our family to people. And we would be like, this person is this, this person is that. But we've reached the point where we don't really try to explain our family much anymore. And so uh, I won't try to do too much of that today, but we have our special guests, Victoria and Shakina with us. They are our daughters and have been a part of our life for many years. Um, it has been such a blessing to, to have them in our life and to know them. And if you know them, if you're familiar with our family, you know that they are a blessing to you as well. And, but they came to us as a part of our life uh, as refugees. We met them uh, when they first came here and resettled in the United States, um, originally from uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo um, via Malawi. They spent some time at a refugee camp in Malawi, and, uh, and they came into our life and have been a part of our family ever since. We have met uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of refugees over the course of the last several years who have resettled in Phoenix. Um, and not all of them have become family. Um, obviously, all of them are important and special to us, but uh, Vicki, Shakina, uh, and their family have become our family. And so it's a really neat thing. It's really neat to see the way that God uh, does that, orchestrates that. But I just want to explain a little bit about refugees. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, you know, I, I don't know anything that what he's talking about. I'm not sure 
what he means by refugees because usually when that word is brought up, uh, people ha immediately have opinions or thoughts or a picture in their mind of what refugee life is. Um, and for the vast majority of people, it isn't what you, you think it is. Refugees aren't people who come here uh, necessarily out of choice. A refugee is someone who has been persecuted or someone who has been forced to flee their home country and cannot return home. And so, for example, uh, Vicky and Shikina are from Congo. Some of our other children are from Congo. Uh, if you know much about history, uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo has been in civil war for the better part of three decades. Uh, it's been a long time, and some say even before that. Um, at the height of the country in the 1960s, um, there were a lot of different things going on, but shortly thereafter, Congolese, uh, Congo excuse me, gained its independence, and then uh, through some corruption, through government, things like that, um, mineral uh, rights that were fought over, uh, the country began to go into a civil war. Um, some rebel groups came across the border from Rwanda, uh, and then war kind of spread. And at one point, I don't, I don't know how many are there now, but at one point there were 27 rebel army groups just in the eastern part of Congo alone. And so it created a civil war and a refugee crisis um, that many had never seen before, that, that had never been seen before, and many people fled. And so um, refugees are in situations where they, they can't just go home. They can't just uh, turn back and, and pretend like nothing ever happened. And so um, for the most part, they are what you consider to be a victim of, of injustice. Things are going on. They are forced to flee out of fear for their life, which is different than an immigrant. An immigrant chooses to leave their homeland to come to a different one where a refugee is forced to leave. Okay, so when a refugee leaves their country um, and they're fleeing for their life and their safety, they go to another country oftentimes that has a what's called a refugee camp. Uh, refugee camps are in different countries through, throughout uh, the world, uh, but as, especially in areas surrounding areas of crisis. But in Sub-Saharan Africa, there are refugee camps in Malawi and I think Tanzania, right? In Uganda, a few places like that, there are mm -hmm. refugee camps. And refugee camps are uh, literally that. They're basically areas where refugees come from other countries. They come into this country and a camp is set up by the UNHCR, which is the United Nations High Council of Refugees. They document the incoming refugees and they... Um, the refugees begin to live in that country, in that camp. Now, they aren't a citizen of that country. They really aren't a citizen much of any country. Uh, they just live there in the camp and survive and try to live. And, and many times people from multiple countries come to those camps and are trying to uh, live this life together. And so it's a very, very difficult. And I'll talk about some, some stuff in the refugee camp later. But, uh, but anyway, they live there in the refugee camp. There's uh, UNHCR offices there in the camp, and then if they're fortunate enough, refugees and their families get the opportunity to file for relocation. And then even then, if they're fortunate, more fortunate enough, they get resettled in one of many countries, the United States, Canada, Switzerland, Australia, um, different places like that. And so um, it's a long, strenuous process, stressful process. Life in the camp isn't easy. Um, and so it isn't just, when you see refugees or you hear somebody's refugee, they don't just show up one day, now I'm going to live in America or now I'm going to live in Canada. They have been through years and years of persecution and hardship and difficulty to get to where they are. 
Um, and there are people that are amazing and many of them, if given the choice, they would love to go back to their home country and live life like it, it originally was, but they simply cannot. And so when you hear that Vicki and Shakina came into our life as refugees, uh, they weren't coming just as they were on a vacation. They had come here uh, from Congo to Malawi to here to the United States um, after years of difficult situations. So we brought up uh, life in the camp, or we brought up the refugee camp, and you guys have lived there. And I don't know if people are drawing a visual in their mind of what the camp looked like, but why don't you guys, um, so that people can hear from you, hear from your heart, tell us a little bit about life in the camp. What's it like for a family when they first get there? And then what are the things kind of going through their mind? Or what are some of your experiences uh, about it? And then how do people kind of survive and, and make it in the camp? So who wants to go? Okay, um, so when you first arrive in the camp, um, they put you in a huge room. Um, and then you have to wait for a couple of days or weeks until they give you a land for you to build um, your own house and unless if you went there and you already had family previously there um, that means you can just go ahead and live together with them and when we arrived my mom was already there so we didn't really have to like start the whole process of being in that room and waiting for a land to be given so we just went straight ahead and um, lived with uh, my mom and my dad. So yeah, it was a pretty um, a little bit easier settle settling in the camp yeah. because we had relatives. Um, if you don't have relatives, it's really like a little bit harder to settle. Okay, so you leave a country. So say someone is in Congo and their fleet, their life is in danger and they flee and they, they make it to Malawi. So you're saying the first place they go is in a big room, basically. Mm -hmm. Who do they check in with? They, they go into the officials when they first get there? They just walk up to the camp? How do most people get there? They just walk up? Well, some, they just walk up and go to, like, there's offices in the camp mm -hmm. for the UN, and you go to the office and tell them that you just arrived, mm -hmm. and then they'll take you to that big room. And if you have families there, then you can just walk in and go straight to your family, Okay. and then the next day you can just walk up to the office and tell them, I'm new in the camp, and gotcha. start the process. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So I was in the, the camp, you guys' camp, a couple mm -hmm. years back. I got the privilege to go there and I say a privilege because it changed me when I when I went to the camp I thought I had an idea of what refugees kind of had because I'd been around a lot of refugees on the United mm -hmm. States side and I've been a lot of refugees um, you know in their in their homes and stuff and I thought I had a pretty good idea you know kind of where refugees were coming from and I've been to Congo multiple times and I'm you know so I went to Malawi to the refugee camp you guys know this and mm -hmm. And it was life-changing for me. That room you're talking about, like if you just say it as a room, like people hearing it might go, oh, they go in a room. Mm -hmm. But we're talking like, and what I saw was more like uh, one big concrete floor, concrete floor, concrete walls, mm -hmm. like no, like it's not like you're coming into a room in someone's house. It was like uh, just, uh, just a, a block building. Mm -hmm. And what the way it was set up when I was there, and I know this is years after you guys were there, it was almost set up like, horse stalls like you would see in a barn there was like a little square and another little square and mm -hmm. another little square in this room divided by almost like mosquito nets on the front and the sides and so a family that day i was there a family of 12 had arrived 
and they pushed them in this little bitty, they push, I don't mean forced, I mean they put them in this little bitty square. And so they had come uh, from the country, had made their way all the way there, come in, they're finally there, and they're, they're stuck in this little bitty square mm-hmm. inside this room. So it's inside a room, inside a stall in the room. And so uh, just seeing how scared they were and terrified they were, because they didn't have family in the camp, they didn't know anybody there, they had gotten there that day. And just to see the, the fear in their eyes of, okay, we've made it to a safe place, but we don't know anything. Mm-hmm. We don't know what to expect. And they were stuck in this little hole. And their food was given to them, like kind of like rations at the beginning, given to them. Uh, and then a bag of charcoal was given to them and said, here, now you have to figure that out. Um, and I spent some time talking with them and hearing their heart through a translator. And it was really life-changing for me. Um, I remember meeting one person in that room, and, and I don't want to talk too much about this because I want you guys to give your thoughts, but uh, the first day that I was there in the camp, I met this lady who was albino, mm-hmm. um, and if you're listening and you don't know what albino is, it's somebody who is, is genetically black, but they have uh, the pigment doesn't develop in their skin, and so they have, uh, basically, they're, they're white-skinned. I met this lady who was uh, albino the first day I was there in that room. She had just arrived. Uh, to the refugee camp and when I met her she had cuts all over her face and her eye one of her eyes wasn't working it, you could tell it had been damaged it was kind of glazed over and she was just in really bad shape and she had just gotten there a few hours before and we asked her you know what happened to her and um, many places in Africa still practice witchcraft and some people that were practicing witchcraft or wanted to practice witchcraft uh, saw her and in witchcraft uh, people who are albino, their bones are very valuable and their their body parts are very valuable and all that stuff. And so she got attacked by people who wanted her body parts. And so they force, physically tried to force her eyes out. Like they tried to cut out her eyes. That's why her eye was glazed over. They were trying to cut off her ears. That's why her, she had scars and cut. Fortunately, another group of refugees saw them attack her and they defended her and she was able to get away. So not only did she flee her country not only was she ending up in this room with people that she didn't know, but she had been attacked multiple times on the way just because of the way that she looked. And so that was a really intense time for me. Yeah. Yeah, it was really, like, overwhelming. When she's telling her story, I'm like, man, I got nothing. You know, like, <laughs> like she, and somebody said, well, why don't you say something to encourage them? You know, and as a pastor or minister, you're supposed to have these, these words to encourage people. And we did. We prayed with her. We said some some things that we felt like would, would give her some encouragement. But you're overwhelmed, you know. It's yeah. an overwhelming experience to be in that refugee camp. So. It is. Um, because when we were in there too, you hear stories about albinos that were staying in the camp. And you hear some people going to attack them at night just because they want their body parts and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Because they practice um, witchcrafts. So um, it was a little bit easier for them because as soon as like the UN hears about that, they know that your life is in danger. Mm-hmm. So they had to get them out of the refugee camp as quick as possible as they can. Yeah. Yeah. So those stories, yeah, we did hear them. Um, it's pretty scary. Yeah. It is. And so speaking of just, and, and Congo is just one country, right, mm-hmm. that refugees come from. There are refugees in Southeast Asia, multiple countries in Southeast Asia, multiple countries in Africa, in the Middle East have refugees. But because we that's where you're from and that's what we know the most about um, let's talk a little bit about what people have gone through before they get there 
too, kind of just to help frame our mind around that. So since the, the, the Civil War in, in Congo has started, there's been 8 million deaths. Mm-hmm. I want you to think about that. That's a lot, you know, eight, over, over 8 million deaths mm-hmm. uh, since the war has started. That has led to unbelievable amounts of trauma, traumatic experiences that people have gone through before they ever get to a camp, mm-hmm. right? Before they ever get out of the country. Many, many, many. Every refugee I met in the camp had seen someone else murdered, mm-hmm. had seen someone else die. And many of them had seen someone else raped or if they were young women had been raped themselves because rape has been used as a weapon of war since the war began. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the young boys that I met had been child soldiers. They had been kidnapped by the rebel groups and forced to be uh, child soldiers. Um, and then in Congo alone, there is an orphan crisis. And so the war has created an orphan crisis um, where moms and dads get killed. And so just in Congo alone, there are five million orphans. I want you to think about the number five. Just in one country, there's like 147 million orphans in the world, roughly 145 to 150 million orphans in the world, and five million of them come from one country alone, from Congo. And so people aren't just walking up to the camp. When we say camp, you know, in America, a lot of people think they're going camping, you know, <laughs> like, like they're going with a group to go camping and they've got their tents and their fishing poles and they're going to, these people are coming to save their own life. Mm-hmm. They're coming to save their family. They're coming from war and, and they're coming from difficult situations. And so when refugees come to the camp, they're coming with some baggage. Would you agree to that? Yes, yeah. definitely, yeah. And just because a family does get fortunate enough to get resettled in the United States, that doesn't mean that baggage all stays Mm-mm. right in Africa because they have had some difficult stuff happen in their life. Okay, so we talked a little bit about arriving at the camp and then, you know, uh, talking about where you're going to live. If you have family, you then, then you can go ahead and live with them. Or if you don't, then they'll assign you a place um, that you'll get to stay. But then after that is comes the real life of now you're there Mm -hmm. now you're gonna be there for a while for sure so what is life like at the camp like day-to-day life like do people work how do you get your food do you go to school like kind of the whole thing what happens well when I got um, the camp I had come from a different country and life there was just like america and um so i got to the camp and everything was different and i would probably say the first few years were kind of fun for me Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know i saw chicken running around um ships and i was just running after them i saw how people are getting the water we have water pumps um so we have like buckets and gallons Mm -hmm. that we have like if you need water people have to go to the water pump and they would have like three gallons of bottles three gallon bottles um what do you call this and some back buckets and then they would fetch water and put it in their house so that's the same water they would use to cook um to take showers because we didn't have like a bath or running water for showering um so you would have to pump and then carry it all the way to your to your house and then place it in your house. Um, there were certain areas that had electricity and some areas didn't have electricity. 
so if you didn't have electricity you'd have to buy candles or use um, lamps that use is it um, kerosene? kerosene yeah so um, that's that and people didn't work um, they did or did not they did not work okay. um, some people owned stores but those were people that had have already um, relatives here abroad who sends them money and so they can start up a business mm. um, you wouldn't really say a store you'll probably say maybe like yeah. a really small boutique mm -hmm. you know okay. just like just for you to get income to buy food mm -hmm. so they'll probably be selling like candles mm -hmm. um drinks yeah uh like matches out of their house not, out of their not house. in like a business yeah. store no. building yeah sometimes it's like your house and then just like a window from your house gotcha. like you just like open up a window yeah. and just like sell yeah. small things and know? even some sell like kids toys right like i saw some people selling soccer balls and uh -huh. stuff like yeah, that. yeah handmade stuff you know just so that you can get the income to um buy things just like she said that you know you didn't have electricity it's like you know when you go camping you're just there for like few days mm -hmm. so it's fun yeah. but imagine <laughs> living that kind of a life for mm -hmm. 5, 10, 11 years, you yeah. know, that mm -hmm. is very, very hard. Yeah. So even when we talk about food, yes, the UN will give us food, mm -hmm. but then it was like, they'll only give you like beans, small amount of salt, um, a little bit of oil, and um, corn. Okay. And so you will have to find your own way how you're going to cook that stuff because mm -hmm. just like she said some places have electricity and some places don't have electricity and mm -hmm. for the people that don't have electricity they have to use um charcoal okay mm -hmm. so you have to find a plate money to buy charcoal right mm -hmm. so it's it's really really hard very really hard complicated. so yeah. a lot of people have to farm um, vegetables like plant vegetables mm -hmm. and sell them so they can get money to buy you know mm -hmm. other stuff or food that they need or charcoal or medications or things like that mm. okay it's really a huge hard. population depended on farming like I, th I think almost every single family like I would say like almost 60% had a farm mm -hmm. and then they would grow their own vegetables mm -hmm. some also um, own some live um, Livestock. Livestock. Mm -hmm. So they had cattles, goat, um, cows, and then they'll let them breed. Mm -hmm. And um, some had chickens. We had a chicken, and we had we had let it breed. Mm -hmm. um, so that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, like the first, it's just like when you go camping, right. everybody's excited. Yeah. And yeah, it was, I was. Everything was fine, and then I was like, "Oh, wait a minute! I'm yeah. gonna be camping the whole yeah. rest of my life." Yeah. Yeah. But you were like a child, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I was, I was fourteen, I was fifteen, fourteen between those ages. Yeah. So. Yeah. And let me just say something. You know, it's also different for you know people that comes from like a really hard life. Okay, because we are from Congo, yes, but we didn't come straight from Congo to the camp. Mm -hmm. We came from like South Africa and it's it's just like America. So you are just like used to having everything that you need. Mm -hmm. You have electricity, you have clothes, you have food, everything's available for you. And then 
to get out of that life mm -hmm. into a refugee camp where it's like you have nothing at all. Mm -hmm. But when you talk about Shekina, when she says it was fun for her because, you know, she grew up into a life where she had everything. Mm -hmm. She didn't see a live chicken, you know, mm -hmm. she <laughs> said it's on the it's on the TV. Mm -hmm. yeah. But then when we get to the camp, to the camp, she sees chicken running around, goats, you know, mm -hmm. she's chasing them. Oh, I've never seen this before, you know. And as time goes by, you're like, wait, is this really going to be my life? Mm -hmm. You know, like from having everything to having nothing at yeah. all, you know, like right. eating three, four times a day to eating like two times a day. So you just sit down and you think about that, like, is this really like mm -hmm. what's going to be and how many years is it going to be? Because you can't predict how long you're going to be in the camp. Mm -hmm. It's the UN that works all your papers, your processing and everything. And you just have to be patient yeah. and wait. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's really, really hard. Yeah. And as you talk about the time that people spend in the camp, I think it should be like we should, our listeners should understand that the average time that a refugee spends at a refugee camp is 17 years. That's mm -hmm. average. Oh, and so you're, you're talking... Some people live their whole life. Yes. Maybe their paperwork, they just can't get it right. Mm -hmm. They can't prove their identity. Definitely. Uh, they Something's wrong with them medically mm -hmm. that they don't want to bring to another country. And so they spend the rest of their life inside the walls of that ever how many acre camp it is. And mm -hmm. some of them are bigger than others, obviously. But uh, the one in Malawi is is big. And it's yeah. growing. It's Unfortunately, it's growing. It's very huge because, real quick fact, um, when we first went in the camp, it was probably like 1999 to 2000 there. And we didn't stay in the camp for a long time. And at that time, there was like really few people. Mm -hmm. And so we left the camp... Um, I'll probably say like 2002, 2001, we went to South Africa. Mm -hmm. So we lived in South Africa for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And then when we came, we went back to the camp, we found some people that we left mm -hmm. back then and they were there. Mm -hmm. And then even though when we left the camp and we came to the U.S., we still left them there. Mm -hmm. And we've been in the U.S. for what, six years. Mm -hmm. So you're probably talking about what, 16 years? Mm -hmm. And they've been there for yeah. a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it takes a lot. So not having a shower, not having running water, not having electricity, not knowing where your food is going to come from. Like, like Shakina said, it sounds fun to a kid for a, for a little bit, mm -hmm. but when a family with mom, dad, children, or grandma with children because mom and dad have passed away, yes. or children alone because they've lost their mom and dad on the way there, mm -hmm. when this goes on for a year, two years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, yeah. 20 years, I met somebody who'd been in the camp 30 years, mm -hmm. you know, that's a long long time long time somebody born and raised there get mm -hmm. married there get married to, and give birth to yeah. children so like the only thing they know it's just being there and so many some people are like really scared to leave mm -hmm. and like actually go to a different place because all they ever know is being in that mm -hmm. place being um given food or mm -hmm. the little um the Red Cross or UNHCR provides for them. Yeah. But yeah, people don't like people are really yeah. scared to just leave yeah. and go about without any help. Right. And, and I think something I've noticed and see if you guys can speak to this too is like, so our, we have a minute, like our ministry, Live Love Ministries, uh, we work with the refugees, but we also have a 501c3 in Phoenix called Ethne Global Services that helps refugees when they very first arrive. And mm -hmm. so you guys have helped us do that and you know that. And, and so 
one of the things I've noticed when working with the refugees when they first come to the United States, they have a hard time getting out of survival mode because I think that's kind of what you're talking about. In the yes. camp, everybody's just, I just got to survive. And so if mm-hmm. it means Red Cross bringing me food, if it means just, they, and then they come to the United States, they have a hard time adjusting to, not that I'm okay now necessarily, but that I can kind of exhale a little bit and I can breathe and I can begin to plan the rest of my life rather than just survive day to day because they survived just to get out of their country. They survived their time in the refugee camp. And so some refugees spend years, even in their resettlement country, trying to just like go from survive to thrive, right? Mm -hmm. Like survive to live. Mm -hmm. Like you have to tell some people it's okay. Like nobody's coming to take you. Nobody's going to hurt you. Just relax, make plans, get your kids in school Mm -hmm. and, and start moving forward. We know you didn't choose to be here but you can make a life out of this, right? And so I think that's kind of what you're talking about. People have a hard time leaving because they don't. all they've ever known was just survive, and I'm surviving here. What happens if I leave and I can't? You know, mm, yeah, that kind of stuff. So, so just kind of now thinking through that, like your time at the camp, I mean, is like while you were there, now that you're able to look back, are you like overall, like I'm not necessarily thankful for my experience of like, that I got to live in the camp, but I guess, do you see life differently because you lived in the camp? Yeah, with me, I'll say I, I do see life differently. I think out of everything, you learn to appreciate what you have, whether it's small, whether it's big, um, and you learn to work for it because in the refugee camp, yeah, they do give you some things, but it's not everything. And so you have to learn to work for almost everything that you you know you want or mm-hmm. you need so um that was a really good experience yeah i would say for me it was a good experience but it's not a life that i would wish anybody to go through mm-hmm. or to experience mm-hmm. because it's not easy mm-hmm. yeah. at all yeah it, it's 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 quite life-changing too um living there like because i came from a like South Africa to Malawi life was so different and then I came to America and comparing them um, maybe I wouldn't know the things I know now if I had not gone through um, that place so like it teaches you how to like actually treat somebody or how to like talk to a person if you hear that mm. they are refugees too because yeah. you're like oh my gosh oh yeah I've yeah. been a refugee too yeah. and I know how it's been I've been in a camp yeah. and because so many people just hear like the tv shows about how terrible africa is um like how people are going through suffering and although people in the camp were not living their best life and Mm -hmm. they were like in shortage of certain things Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that that everybody was so stressed and was just living a sad life Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know there were actually some happy moments um some laughing moments the only Mm -hmm. sad moments would always when it comes to oh it's a new day Mm -hmm. what am i supposed to give my children to eat Mm -hmm. um how they're supposed to dress and all that but um and we would go to school i know you asked about school sorry we didn't reply but Mm -hmm. um we actually do have school and there's also a university too canada sponsors it Mm -hmm. um so although you have to have a certain amount of gpa Mm -hmm. here in america you call it gpa Mm -hmm. um back there you call it 
points. Mm -hmm. You take a national exam um, your senior year. So once you graduate, you have to have a certain, um, like let me say, maybe 4.0 and above GPA mm -hmm. to apply mm -hmm. to that university. And you have to, to go through multiple tests, interviews, and um, once you pass it, you they'll actually like take you um, to Canada mm -hmm. and you go ahead and continue yeah. education there. Um, our high school was pre is pretty small. We only had eight classes in total, mm -hmm. and I'll say nine because um, eight classes in meaning each and every freshman class had two. So a freshman class, we had two freshman classes, two sophomore, two junior, two senior, senior classes, and then we had one ESL class. Mm -hmm. So if you didn't know English, um, they would put you, so for you to learn English, and after that you can continue with school. Um, our primary school was from first grade to eighth grade, and eighth grade you would take a national exam too. Mm -hmm. Um, for lunch, during lunch, they used to give, um, hand out porridge. We mm -hmm. had a kitchen, they used to cook porridge and, um, it was not mandatory. You mm -hmm. don't have to take it, but so many kids would eat it because the, you're, you're not quite sure. Oh, if I don't eat this, might not eat I might not all. eat at mm -hmm. all. So like most children, like always, you'd have to come with a cup from home to yeah. school to yeah. actually get the porridge. Oh, really? You have to bring your own cup? Your own it. cup, yeah. your own cup and your own spoon. And sometimes the porridge didn't have sugar. So you have to uh, to bring your own sugar. <laughs> so it's like, we'll provide like half of it. So you bring <laughs> the other half, the other portion. But um, we also had sports. Um, I played netball um, and soccer throughout my and did track to throughout mm. my primary and um, high school year, um, so, so yeah, yeah, they did a good job um, doing education because yeah. if I have to compare education back there in the camp and here, because you feel like oh it's the camp, so they don't really have great teachers. Mm -hmm. We actually had really really great teachers because mm -hmm. when I came here school I was like oh, wait I did this when I was in 8th grade and mm -hmm. I'm a junior here why am yeah. I still doing this yeah. so school is like way harder back there than it is here yeah. so like if you actually go to school in camp I feel like you would be like way smarter once yeah. you come here in America and study and you hear people like oh this is hard and I'm like I can help you so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's something yeah. I did a while back that's cool yeah. That's good. You mentioned something before you were talking about the school was life wasn't always as bad in the camp. Like there were good days. Yes. And I was looking at my notes for our podcast today and I was writing down things I remembered from the camp. And the very last thing I wrote was I remember overwhelming hope that people had. Like yes. I went to church service in the camp and it wasn't like I was in a church service full of people who were, who were in despair. I mean, they were physically in despair at times, but like spiritually and emotionally they had hope mm -hmm. um, and they had a desire to better their life and and they worked hard at it and people were happy like and joyous mm -hmm. the country of Malawi is very friendly anyway yes. it's extremely one of the friendliest places I've ever been in the world if not the friendliest and uh, and that friendliness overflowed into the camp and people were just 
happy, number one, to be alive, mm-hmm. to be around their family. And those who are Christians were happy to worship God and yes. to be together in that community of believers. It was like mm-hmm. it gave them a sense of belonging. Yes. yes. Maybe they all came from different parts of wherever country they mm-hmm. were from because there were refugees from Congo, but there were also refugees from Ethiopia and Sudan, mm-hmm. Somalia, yes. Rwanda. Rwanda, Burundi, mm-hmm. different places like that and who are like, don't even really know each other at all and then they come together and there is hope there and so oh yeah yeah. and i think what made um like gave people hope is because people are people are really nice to each other Uh like for example we had um several neighbors and then there were times whereby we would just cook a huge meal and we told the neighbors you guys don't have to cook today because we are cooking today yeah. and the whole family the husband the wife the children would just come like we'll all share it together yeah. mm-hmm. so it's just become like the whole like the whole block where we lived like mm-hmm. four, four families around us they just became like yeah. part of our family yeah. mm-hmm. and um very helpful too yeah i just wanted to um add on what shakina said about um people were really nice to each other like in the camp like the camp is big, but I feel like everybody knew everybody. And everybody was concerned about their neighbors. Like, if I don't see them today, like, I go knock on their door, like, what happened? You know, I haven't seen you today. Or, like, we check up on each other. So there was just, like, so much love, you know. And if you have a lot of food, you share with your neighbors. And another thing that kept us going in the camp was church. Mm-hmm church was like number one especially like with my mom she was always telling us god comes first and i think it's something that most of the people um in the camp like they put their hope into which was god god Mm -hmm. was number one and so we really like showed love and affection to each other through church Mm -hmm. and churches had a lot of activities and Mm -hmm. so we'd go to overnights we'll go to bible studies we'll go for choirs we go for seminars, we have plays, we have parties, you know. It was really, really nice. Like people were looking forward to going to church on Sundays or going to teaching on Wednesdays and Fridays or going for choir practice. So it was, when when it comes to that part, I really did enjoy mm. being in the camp because people had so much faith. Like you can even tell by them preaching or singing or yeah. the way they act with their friends or their neighbors. Which was really, really good. Yeah. That's really cool. And uh, even though you're here, the camp is still there to this day. And so mm-hmm. um, that joy and that hope still remains in a lot of people. I have a lot of friends in the camp. I know you have a lot of friends in the camp and family in the camp. And they still have that hope and that excitement. Um, one of the neatest things that I think we get to be a part of as a ministry, too, is uh, sponsoring some of the, the work in the camp that the church does, helping them to put on evangelism and outreach programs mm-hmm. um, they use soccer and other sports debt ball as a way to reach people many Congolese people come yes. knowing about Jesus but a lot of the other countries that come to the camp many of them don't mm-hmm. like many of them come maybe they're Muslim or maybe they have a different background mm-hmm. and so they're not exposed to the gospel they're not exposed to Jesus before they get there and so many of the Christians in the camp many of the people at the church are able to use everyday life stuff to reach people and mm-hmm. to share that hope with them and so ministry goes on in the camp too it isn't yes. just survive it there is ministry and there's a sense of community there mm-hmm. that maybe uh most people have never experienced it's just a unique yeah. uh, life it's like a 
uh, a country inside a country, but people from a bunch of different countries. It yes. is really neat. Yes. And, and when you're there, you're not... And me, I, personally, I wasn't scared. I wasn't afraid. I wasn't mm-hmm. like, what's going to happen? It was like, man, this, this, is, this is cool. You know, you're overwhelmed by some of the hard stuff you see. But at the same time, you're encouraged by the joy, especially the followers of Jesus, that they have. I mean, you think about this. So many times in America... When things go wrong in our life, mm-hmm. like everybody's like, well, why has God allowed this to happen? Mm-hmm. Or we, we maybe lose a job or we lose this situation or something terrible comes. Corona happens, you know, and we're just, we're just distraught, you know, because our everyday, normal, perfect life has been interrupted by an inconvenience. Mm-hmm. And so we lose faith or we lose hope or you see people abandon the faith over stuff like this. Then you... You know, kind of go to the camp and you see people who have literally lost everything. They show up to the camp, yes. maybe with the clothes on their back. You know, mm-hmm. some of the guys show up, they don't even have a shirt on, you know, because mm-hmm. they lost it on the way there. And so they literally show up with nothing and have hope that uh, many people wouldn't have in that same situation. So it is encouraging. You can, you can get a lot of encouragement yeah. out of that. And so, last couple of things about the camp and then we'll transition to life in, in America for refugees, okay? okay. Um, so, uh, like I said, I know you have family in the camp. I know you have friends in the camp still to this day. Mm-hmm. I remember when I visited, um, I, I had people telling me, tell, tell Vicky, tell Shakina that I said hi. Take a picture and show them, you know. So they, I know you have friends there. Um, I know that your, your, Vicky, your husband has, you know, family that are still refugees and still, and then uh, Mamu, your other sister has uh, in-laws that are in the camp as well. And so I um, met some of them. If you had to send a message to them, like what, what, what do you want to say to them? Now that you're here on this side and you're thinking back, what, like what do you say to them? And maybe you, I know you do talk to them. So what do you say to them to give them hope and encouragement as they're still living there and you're here? Well. <laughs> All right, Shakina, you go first. <laughs> well, um... Because they always ask about how life is in America and everything. Uh-huh. And they always think that life in America is super easy. Mm-hmm. Like we wake up and, oh my gosh, it's a $100 bill on my tree. <laughs> so they always think so because when you like send them even $50, it's like a lot of money over there. Mm-hmm. So they always wonder, oh my gosh, if they can send me this amount of money, how much do they actually have, you mm-hmm. know? But it's just the currency differences. So I always tell them, like, you know, when you get um, just hanging there, everything's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, life in America isn't easy, and it's not hard at the same time. It's just like the camp. If you have a heart to work hard, you will actually survive. So if mm-hmm. you guys can survive in the camp, whereby you literally have nothing, if you come here, you guys will make it. Mm-hmm. So, all that you guys just have to wait for is just is for you guys to make it out. Once mm-hmm. you make it out, everything is just gonna go easily as long as you have mm-hmm. like the dedication to yeah. work for it. Yeah. Um, everything's not handed out to you because I do know some refugees in Canada that want to be in America, but the only reason that's stopping them is because of how hard you have to work here in mm-hmm. America because everybody knows how Canada f- things are free how the government gives them money so that they're, c- they're still stuck to that uh, they, 
somebody has to give me this mm-hmm. to provide for myself so i'm like if you come here and actually work for yourself you'll be fine my friend recently just came here last year and i was talking to him he's like i really i just i want to go back and i was like you you've been there all your life that's literally what you know mm-hmm. and you've been here just for like two months or three months and you really want to go back yeah. so just wait and mm-hmm. see how it goes and i recently talked to him again he's like oh you know what it's actually not bad you know yeah things is like easy yeah. when you know, so you can always encourage them to you know be strong and um you know be patient mm-hmm. and take your time and just pray about it um and see where it goes um but yeah it's it's hard but yeah you just have to encourage him all right give them heart that's good thank you guys for sharing that um Mm -hmm. on a side note to our listeners our family is growing and there are kids and grandkids and (laughs) people everywhere Mm -hmm. so if you hear background noises uh, this is life for us okay (laughs) and so we're in a house full of children and uh we are stuck in a room doing uh, this podcast interview and so just have some grace on us as we uh as we deal with it as well coronavirus keeps us all kind of locked up and so everybody's going crazy mm-hmm. and so just uh be patient with us if you hear that that background noise or just let it bring a smile to your face knowing that god puts families together we hope you enjoyed today's episode please tune in next week as we continue with part two of this all-important conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Live Love Ministries podcast. We hope it was encouraging, made you think, and broadened your understanding of our mission and the mission of making disciples of all nations. You can find out more information about our ministry at www.liveloveministries.org. If God leads you to partner with us financially through prayer, or if you're interested in bringing a mission team to Arizona or one of our other locations, You can find that information on our website as well. Until next time, keep loving people and keep pointing people to Jesus. And we'll see you then.